This is recording number 10753 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the first message in the Purpose Behind the Passion series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 2, 2008. This message is titled, Paying the Debt. turn to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start reading at, um, at verse uh, 23 in just a moment, but let me give you the lay of the land in terms of where we're headed over the next few weeks. Today we're going to be talking about one of the things that Jesus was passionate about, one of the reasons why he did what he did was to pay the debt. We're going to be talking about the purpose behind the passion being paying the debt. And that's, next week we'll talk about how he, uh, he, the, he was impassioned or um, filled with purpose uh, be, because he came to unlock the shackles or unlocking the shackles as part of the, pur- the purpose behind the passion. And then restoring what has been lost and then lifting the darkness and finally tearing down the walls. Now, these things that I've just listed here in, an, in a little different way than we're going to see them in the passage before us are here in this passage. And uh, I, I want you to, to uh, as I said, begin reading with me or following along as I read at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle a sound, a, accounts with his servant or servants, excuse me. And this is Jesus speaking. He's telling a parable. A parable is a story that would um, uh, be easily relatable to, to his audience, the people that were listening to him. And he would lay that story alongside the truth that he was trying to communicate in order to uh, enlighten or to um, expose the truth, make it more understandable. Sometimes people think of parables that Jesus told parables like riddles. He was trying to confuse people or make the truth more difficult to understand. And that nothing could be farther from the truth. When Jesus told a parable, it was to highlight, to illuminate, to reveal truth. And so this is a parable that he told. And he's telling a story to illuminate a truth. And it comes on the heels of a very often quoted or referred to um, Incident where Peter comes to Jesus and he said, and, he, and you can tell he's trying to score points with his fellow disciples. And he says to Jesus, He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who has wronged me? Seven times? And you can almost see him strutting, you know. And Jesus says, Well, Peter, you know, I'm, I, I don't say to forgive someone seven times. And you can sort of see Peter light up. Yeah, see, I, I've exceeded the boundaries here, you know, seven times. And Jesus says, No, I tell you, I think you ought, to re- you ought to forgive someone who's wronged you 70 times, seven. And you know, Peter didn't whip out his calculator and try to figure out how many that was. Jesus was making the point that our forgiveness should be endless towards one another because his is. God's, God's forgiveness towards us is boundless, limitless. And so he goes on to describe that further and that's what this parable is about. Back up again, verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like 
a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. It's clear, absolutely crystal clear, that as Jesus tells this story, the king is God. He, he, he says this is the kingdom of heaven, right? This is like the kingdom of heaven. And, and he tells this story. Verse 24, And when he, when the king, had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Let's talk about that for a minute because we use the word talent a little differently. We use it to describe aptitudes that we have or things that we can do well, that sort of thing. But the, uh, the talent, as it's described here, was a unit of measure. And it was the largest unit of measure. It was the amount that one person could, could carry at one time. And it was usually um, used to measure out precious metals. Uh, you've heard of the term shekel. That was a monetary, uh, I mean a, a coin, a type of, of uh, a unit of, of monetary value. And a talent was worth 3,000 shekels. That doesn't really mean too much to us. But let me just say that when it says that this servant owed the king 10,000 talents... He might as well have been saying he owed him a billion dollars. It's just beyond the scope of anything that you could imagine unless you're Bill Gates. You know, it's, it's a billion dollars. I mean, how could you even get your mind around that? And here's the scenario. The king has... As, and we know this because later in, uh, in Matthew, there, Jesus tells another parable about how a king gave a, uh, three different servants different quantities of resources to manage uh, on his behalf. And so the same, the same scenario is going on here. This servant has received from the master's resources a quantity uh, valued at... Uh, you know, this enormous sum, and he has squandered it. He's, either, he's, pro- he's probably embezzled it, uh, foolishly invested it, and, you know, anything else that you can imagine so that he's found himself in deep doo-doo, <laughs> you know. And um, so, uh, verse 25 says, But as he was not able to pay... His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. In those days, there were no, uh, you couldn't file for bankruptcy like the city of Vallejo is threatening to do. Um, you, you know, you, uh, you had no other recourse when you were in debt but to sell yourself or to, have, to allow yourself to be sold and um, so that's what's facing this servant. The king orders that he, his wife, his children, everything that he has be sold. Uh, and even that isn't going to, that's not even going to come close to paying off this huge debt that he has um, incurred by squandering the king's resources. Verse 26 says, The servant fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Let me ask you something. Is there any way for this servant to repay what he's lost? Well, I'll answer it for you. No, <laughs> he can't. 
There's no way. I remember feeling that some years ago when a whole series of circumstances um, caused Sue and I to find ourselves about $20,000 in credit card debt, not to mention, you know, our mortgage and, and, you know, car loans and things like that, but just credit card debt alone. It was a horrible period of our, of our lives. And I remember thinking, there's no way we could ever pay this off. Now, of course, the story is that God in his graciousness and mercy to us did take care of all of that. And you know, I'm not here to tell that story. But I know what it feels like to feel like there's no way out of this. This servant is totally deceiving himself if he thinks he's going to be able to somehow scramble around and figure out a way to pay off a billion-dollar debt. And yet he's saying, just give me a little more time. Give me a little little more time, king, and I will be patient with me. I'll pay you all. Verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now this story goes on and it doesn't end happily. But we're not going to take time with that. What happens is that after receiving this great uh, expression of mercy and grace and forgiveness that the king offers to this servant, he turns around and uh, treats people who owe him you know, a mere pittance Uh, with total disregard and will not extend to them anything close to the same kind of forgiveness that he's received. And so he ends up uh, in some um, even deeper trouble. But that's not the point. The point I want to make this morning is this little snapshot that the Lord Jesus gave us of the heart of God. It's clear he's talking about God, the King. It's clear he's talking about us, the servants. It's clear that he's talking about we as servants of God as people who have squandered the king's resources. We have squandered the creation. Just just that alone. Think about that alone for a minute. The, The wonder. I mean, my breath is taken away when I see... Uh, you know, like uh, I uh, spent many summers vacationing in um, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, at the foot of the Tetons, and you look out on on that magnificent uh, natural beauty, and you're, it takes your breath away. And to think that the beauty of the natural creation that we see now is only—I mean, it's not anything close. To, the, to what was the original display of God's wonder in creating this world because sin has, the Bible tells us, sin has affected creation itself. It's as though we unleash some tagger to go through creation and spray paint all over everything and make a mess of stuff. Like I was out here this morning covering over some, some tagging on our wall out there and cleaning up the parking lot, you know. It's like that kind of stuff has happened to nature. And you know what? It's not just someone else. It's me. I've been my sin, my selfishness, my foolishness, 
has been a part of squandering the great resources of the king in creation. Not to mention the vast resources, the wonder of his presence. I have treated his presence with disrespect as though it was meaningless and valueless. I have squandered the king's resources. And the, and the problem is that most of us, we think, we have this warped understanding of what it would be like if you could get mercy from God. The servant thought if he could get, if there was any possibility that he could get mercy from the king, this is what it would look like. Mercy from the king would look like simply more time to be able to figure out a way to, to uh, clean up his mess. More time to somehow make things right. And most of us, most of us right here this morning, we have that same kind of twisted understanding about the mercy of God. If you could get it. If you could get the mercy of God, it would look like this. It would look like more time to straighten myself out. God, just, just be patient with me. I'll get, oh, I'll, get, I'll get control of this habit. God, just be patient with me. I'll treat my wife better. God, just be patient with me. I'll handle my money better. God, just be patient with me. I'll figure out how to read the Bible someday. <laughs> you know? We have this twisted understanding about what the mercy of God looks like. That it's simply, I'll get it right someday, just don't snuff me out. (laughs) But that is not the heart of God. That's not the mercy of God. That's not what Jesus came to show us of the heart of God. Jesus came to pay our debt. He bled and died on on that cruel cross so that you and I no longer have to carry the burden of this insurmountable debt we owe to the king of all kings. That passion to free us from that death, excuse me, that debt drove him, propelled him. That's why he came. That's why he put on human flesh. That's why he endured the sufferings of being uh, subjected to to the cruelties of, of his creation so that he could go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sin and free us from that debt. Not just to give us more time to kind of figure out how to work this. Now, I I believe in all my heart that God doesn't want one more of us to spend one more day, not one more moment, trying to save ourselves. It can't be done. Oh, the devil is very happy to allow you to do that, though. He's very happy to convince you that the Christian life is all about trying to get yourself better. It's all, all, all about trying to make yourself more holy. It's all about trying to please God in some way or get on his good side because if he can get you locked into that routine, your life in Christ will be miserable and fruitless. He's very happy to have you do that. But that's not what God is about. And when Jesus told this parable about the king and the servant, he was showing us this incredible picture of the heart of God 
going to take just a couple of more minutes to talk about three things that he tells us is a part of the mercy of God in verse 27 when he says the master of that servant was moved with compassion. The forgiveness that God offers us is, is not like this. It's not like, you know, it's not like a, uh, a grudging thing. It's not like God looks at, at uh, Lindsay and says, well, all right. <laughs> you know, we, we think like that, though, sometimes, you know, we, we, we sometimes we think that that um, we're, you know, we talk about being saved by grace. A lot of times some of us think that we were saved by grease and somehow we're just slipping through. <laughs> We want to make sure that nobody knows us, that we don't really belong, you know, that we're not quite as good as everybody else and don't deserve the the favor of God. But maybe if we hang out with them and just kind of keep our head low, we'll get to go to heaven with them, you know. A lot of people think that way. Or we think that God somehow, you know, he's in the checkout line at the, the, uh, you know, heavenly... um, department store and he's got a basket full of the you know six billion people on the planet and you're not in it uh but he's you know he's going through the aisle and he comes to the area where they have the impulse buys you know all the stuff that are you know they're junk you know stuff that you you buy it and you think why did i buy that because it was staring you in the face while you're waiting for the cash register and you couldn't resist and, and some of us think that we're like that impulse buy. And he's got, you know, all the people he really loves in the basket. And he sees you over there and goes, uh, all right, you know. <laughs> we think like that. But the Bible says he was moved with compassion. That word in the Greek, moved, talks about your bowels. Something else moves in your bowels, if you know what I mean. And I don't mean to be disgusting or distracting by saying that, but I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to say to you that from a very deep place in the heart of God, He is moved with compassion for you. The salvation that He purchased for you was not an impulse buy, and it cost Him everything He has. Because He wants you. He was moved with compassion. Read with me this scripture from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The second thing that verse 27 of chapter 18 of the book of Matthew tells us about the the mercy of God is that he canceled the obligation says he was moved with compassion, released him. Do you know that that means that he um, set the, or, or he, he eliminated the, the relationship of obligation that existed between the servant and the master. From this point forward, that servant would never ever have to face a reminder of his uh, indebtedness or the debt that he owed to the to the king. You know how it is when. Um, well, I, I won't blame this on you. I'll just tell you about how when I've when I've really messed up and, and done some dastardly deed that affects my wife. You know, 
she is always gracious and merciful with me and quick to forgive me. And I don't mean to say anything to, to um, tarnish the, the image of her loving mercy and grace towards me. But you know, she is human. And there's ways that she kind of lets me know, you know, you've been forgiven, but let's don't forget that, you know. And, and, and the fact that I'm, I'm with her every day in that kind of relationship where I know I've screwed up and I'm, you know, I've kind of, I always sort of kind of hang in my head, you know. You, you, you can understand that and relate to that. And a lot of people live out their Christian life with that sort of head-hanging kind of thing with God. It's a constant reminder that, uh, you know, I, I owe God such a debt. I, I just feel so badly about that. You know, such a, I mean, a, not a, I mean, the debt of his uh, forgiveness, you know, we just, but, but the master was freeing the servant from the contractual relationship that he had with the king so that he never was in a position where he ever had to be reminded Anymore that he was indebted even to the mercy of the king. He was a free agent. From that point on, he was no longer a person bound by obligation to the king. This is an amazing verse I want you to read with me from John fifteen fifteen. Jesus is speaking and he says, No longer, read it with me, No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. Wow. I mean, if we could just let that get a hold of our hearts down deep someplace and, and, and let it transform the relationship we have with the Lord, at least in, on our side of things. Not that it would ever change, have to ever think, change anything about the way he relates to me. But if we could allow it to just change the way I relate to him and understand that he no longer sees me as one who owes him, an, you know, one that has an obligation, but sees me as a friend. And then finally, uh, it says that he released him and forgave him the debt. And this is actually, um, even though it, it has many uh, crossover and similarities to the previous point about how he canceled the obligation, it really takes it a step further. And I want you to think about this with me for a minute. Because the king um, not only was moved with compassion toward the servant, not only said, all right, no longer are you contractually bound to me in any way? There will never be any way that you relate to me that this hangs over your head anymore. Not only did he do the wonderful, those wonderful things, but he also erased the record. He expunged the record as though it never was. This billion dollar debt, 10,000 talent debt, it never happened. It's gone. It's gone. Hebrews 8.12 says, read it with me. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That is the mercy of God. 
And it was that heart, it was that mission that Jesus was, was on when he came to pay the debt. That's what propelled him, compelled him, drove him to the cross. That desire to show us the love of 